Thanks for joining me today. My name is James Briscoe. I'm an ordained Baptist minister for the past 25 years. And Jesus Christ has called me to be a Latter-day prophet in these latter days. I'm calling out the remnant and I'm calling out the elect and telling them our time is growing shorter and shorter and shorter before the rapture. So let's start getting ourselves together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for watching after us and taking care of us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to me, through me, and for me, to someone that's out there that's listening, that they might hear what thus saith the Lord. And we'll give you the praise and honor forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Our topic is God's Dispensations, Part 2. Part 2. I'm going to read a statement. It's kind of like a a verse, and I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to talk about it later on in the podcast. All the Bible is for us, but not all the Bible is to us. All the Bible is for us, but not all the Bible is to us. I introduce you to a technological, to a theological term, sorry, that I used in my last podcast, and it was dispensation. It is necessary that you understand the meaning of this word, or you will become hopelessly confused when you study the Bible. The word dispensation means a distribution of good and evil by God's command, or a system of of principles, promises, and rules as ordained and administered by God throughout the ages, even today. Let's see how the Bible uses the word dispensation. Many in the Christian colleges and universities hate this word. Let me give you a practical definition for this word. If you put one age down, then the next age would come in and it would be the the age of that period in which God is dealing with the human race in a different way. He changes things and he deals with man differently than in the past. So one age comes and then it leaves and a new age comes. Adam in the garden. Adam in the garden. God dealt with him differently while he was in the garden. But after he put him out the garden, God dealt with him even more differently. When he was in the garden, he he experienced innocence. When he got out the garden, then he had a consciousness of right and wrong. As I stated in our last podcast, that Genesis and Matthew are the books in the Bible where we find the six dispensations of God. Three are found in the book of Genesis. Three are found in the book of Matthew. The book of Genesis has the three age of innocence, age of consciousness, and age of human government. They are found in the book of Genesis. In this podcast, we're going to look mainly at the book of Matthew, which has the other three. It had, and we're going to discuss these dispensations, but we're only going to discuss the last one. The the fourth is law, the fifth is grace, and we talked about grace and law, and the sixth is the millennium kingdom. 
So that's the one we're going to be mainly with dealing with, the sixth dispensation, and that's the last one, the Millennial Kingdom. This, this gospel, Matthew, is called the royal gospel because it refers to the kingship of the kingdom of heaven found 32 times in this book. Jesus never concisely defined this phrase. He gave us many clues about the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is so important, Jesus said, that belonging to it is worth selling everything a person owns to be in it. The kingdom has no geographical boundaries. The least person in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is the rule of God in this world. So God rules the kingdom of heaven, and his, he's ruling this world, as we all know. I'm going to outline the book of Matthew for you. I'm going to give you an outline of it, and then we'll move on. In this book, we find, first, the person of the king. That's found in chapters 1 and found in chapters 2. Next, the preparation of the king. That's found in chapters 3, and it goes all the way to chapter 4, verse 16. Next, in this outline, is the, pro the propagation of the king. That's found in chapters 4, and it goes all the way to chapters 9 and 35. The next is the program of the king. That's found in chapters 9, and it goes all the way to chapter 16 and verse 20. The next to the last is the passion of the king, and that's found in chapter 16 and goes to chapter 27 and the 66th verse. And then the last one is the power of the king, and that's chapter 28. And I go back, I meant to say the propaganda of the king, and that's chapters 4 through 935, the propaganda of the king. Sometimes I get mixed up in talking. That's what happens when you get old. The book of Matthew is written in Hebrew to the Jews. That's their language. Once you understand this gospel, you will understand the whole Bible much better. Each gospel is written in, to a different group of people. The gospel of Matthew is in Hebrew and it's written to the Jews, to the Jewish converts to Christianity. The Gospel of Mark is written to the Romans. The Gospel of Luke is written to the groups, to the, the, the Greeks. And the Gospel of John is written to all of us. So each Gospel is written to a specific group of people. In the book of Matthew, there are three different discourses. And a discourse is a special speech about a particular concern. So in this book, I gave you the outline. Now I'm going to talk about the three special speeches that Jesus gave or sermons Jesus gave, and they're called discourses. The first major discourse that Jesus gave, he gave about six months into his ministry. And that particular, that particular discourse is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that discourse, that, that speech, that sermon, he has the laws of the kingdom for the millennial people. 
In that, he tells the relationship of the kingdom to self. Now, we're dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the first major. Then he goes and he deals with the relationship of the citizens of the kingdom to the law. And then he moves on to the relationship in, in that discourse that the relationship of the citizens of the kingdom to God. And then the last, he ends up in that seventh chapter. It's from chapters five through seven in Matthew. He ends up in that seventh chapter, the relationship of the citizens to the king and to each other. So I ask you, who are the citizens of the millennial kingdom? I ask you that. Well, the citizens of the millennial kingdom, because the book of Matthew is to the Jews, the, the citizens of the millennial kingdom, they're Jewish. So we're Jesus in his sermons, he's speaking directly to his people, the Jews. Okay, so that was the first major discourse. That was about six months into its ministry. The second major discourse comes near the end of his ministry. He's has his ministry lasts three and a half years, and it comes into comes around the latter part of his ministry, the last maybe three or four months. <clears throat> that particular major discourse, this is the second one, is called the mystery parables. The mystery parables. And it concerns what the kingdom is like. The mystery parables tell us what the kingdom is like. I'm not going to get into the parables. I'm just going to give you the title of the parables. The first of the mystery parables is the sower, the man who sows sin, uh, seeds and sin. The second of the mystery parables is the weeds. He tells us how the weeds grow up among the good crop and a man plants them while the farmer is sleeping. The next system parable is about the mustard seeds, and then there's one about the yeast. And then the last two major parables are about the hidden treasures and the pear, the pearl, I'm sorry, and the pearl. So we have six mystery parables that Jesus tells. And that's in the 13th chapter of Matthew, and it's at the latter part of his ministry. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, why? Now, remember, he's at the last part of his, his ministry. They said, why are you using parables? Why? Because he hadn't been, he'd been talking straight to the people, but now this latter part of his ministry, he's using parables. Jesus answers and says, for the people's heart has become callous. They see, but they do not see. They hear, but they do not hear. You see, he tells them in the latter part of his ministry, those people have been, now that are coming to hear me, they're like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're just coming to hear me so they can have something to criticize me about or their hearts have grown callous and they are not really wanting to hear what I'm saying and they don't want to see what I do as far as my miracles. But he tells the disciples, you're different. He said, you are blessed because you have continued to see what I see and you have continued to hear the words that I preach and teach and you are continuing to understand. 
That was the second, that was the second major discourse in what's the, the mystery of the parables. And that was the latter part. The last major discourse occurs during Jesus' last week here on earth before his ministry ends and he's crucified. That is called the Olivet Discourse. It's the last week. It's after he comes in on Palm Sunday. He gives the discourse about two or three days later after that Palm Sunday. And it's called the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus now tells them, and he does a prophecy, and he looks forward into the ages, and he looks all the way to the, almost the end of the ages, which is called the kingdom of heaven, and he tells them about what's going to happen. Remember, I'm dealing with the last of the dispensations. He tells them what's going to happen just before the millennial kingdom comes into existence. And he names that period of time. There's a seven-year period of time before the millennial king, kingdom comes in. He calls that the great tribulation. He says, this is so bad that it's never happened here on earth. This tribulation that you're going to experience. Now, Jesus now is talking about a futuristic prophecy. Jesus answers their questions when they get outside while they're this 23rd verse i have to say this 23rd verse they are in jerusalem at the temple and he bumps heads and he chops the pharisees says the pharisees up he chops the scribes up and he chops up the up the uh, sadducee now he tells them that they're not going to see him anymore until they cry out and call out for him and that's going to happen during the prior to the millennium kingdom and he, he tells the pharisees when they get outside of it they walk outside of jerusalem they're walking over to the mount of olive and while they're there he said they said you see that beautiful building and jesus said hey that temple which is the seventh is seventh uh a, a minor thing minor asian wonder of the world the seventh minor asian world temple he said you see that temple it may be beautiful he says not one brick is going to be left on another and they and they're they're amazed they're scared now they're scared and he says they said what do you mean not one brick he said yes the the temple is going to be destroyed the city of jerusalem is going to be destroyed and this whole nation of israel is going to be destroyed now they're really scared they stay quiet for a while and then they ask jesus three questions about what he just said i stay quiet for about 10 minutes and they talk among themselves and then they come back and they ask jesus three questions they said tell us the signs that we that they will see telling them that the end is coming the first question is when will the temple in jerusalem be destroyed Jesus gives them not a long-term prophecy. He gives them a prophecy that's just about 40 years before the Roman army comes and destroys the temple, the city, and the whole nation of Israel. They kill over a million people when they come in 
In 68 AD, they do a siege. The siege lasts two years, and then they destroy the temple and everything. So they asked him that. Then he gives an answers to that. Then they asked him, when are you going to come and set up your kingdom? And he gives him, he says, these are the signs that you will see when I'm going to set up my kingdom. The people will see. And then they asked him last, when is the world going to end? And he said, these are the signs that will tell you that we're moving toward the end of the world, the ages. So he answers them. So he gives them and he answers their three questions. And he, they move on from there. You can, you can guess that they were horrified after Jesus told them things. They had no idea. Paul even didn't have an idea, or Peter didn't have an idea that Jerusalem and the temple were going to be destroyed even while they were still, while they were waiting to be executed. It would be destroyed, but the news wouldn't get there. Paul would never find out that Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed, but he knew the prophecies of Jesus, and he knew it was going to happen, but he's he's not going to find out that they do it within a year or two after they execute him. Then at the end, Jesus tells them there's one more thing. There's one more thing I got to tell you. He said there's going to be a judgment prior to the entry into the millennium kingdom, that last age I'm in. He said, prior to them entering into that last age, the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a judgment. So you have the great tribulation. You have uh, you have the Antichrist. You have all those people waiting to destroy the Jews because they want to annihilate. Then Jesus comes out the skies. He sets down. He destroys them. Then he tells them, he's, they asked him those questions, but he's going to add one more thing. There's going to be a judgment. They didn't ask him because they didn't know that there was going to be a judgment. He said the judgment is going to be a judgment of the sheep and the goat nations. These are the nations that Jesus is going to judge before he goes into the millennial kingdom. The sheep will be on his right hand. The goats will be on his, on his left hand. The sheep will enter into the millennial kingdom, those people who are in the sheep nation, and the goats will go to the lake of fire, and they'll be there with the Antichrist and the false prophets and the others. But he's not still through. He says, this is the next to the last major judgment that God's going to carry out. The last one is called the white throne of judgment. And that ends after the millennial kingdom. You understand? So the sheep goat of judgment, and he tells them of that. He tells them that there's one more thing that they didn't ask him about, and that's the judgment. The church is in the heavenly kingdom of God. But it has its own separate identity. See, before the great tribulation, the church is going to be taken out during the rapture. And we're going to be some space place special. And we're not going to experience the great tribulation. And we're not going to be in the millennium. Many of these idiots who are ministers say we're going to come back to the, to the millennium. No, we're not. The church is going to stay separate. And the, us in the church will have our glorified body and we'll be at special places. And we won't even know what's going on on the earth because it'll be of no concern to the church. So the millennial kingdom will have those people who made it into it. So the church is away in the, a special place that God has put them in. Now, let me say this. The church is in the kingdom of God, but it has its own 
identity. Just like the city of Atlanta is in Georgia, but Atlanta is just a city. Georgia is a state. Georgia is not Atlanta, and Atlanta is not Georgia. The church is in the millennial kingdom, but not it had, but not the kingdom. It's just a part of the kingdom. So let's move on. The millennial kingdom is found in the kingdom of God. So it is in the kingdom of God, and it has its own identity. But the eternal kingdom is where God rules over the heaven, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. This is called eternity for us. Now, when we finish the uh, millennium, then the great white throne judgment, that's the last one I mentioned, will be set up. And then God will take care of all those people, put them in the lake of fire, and then he will burn up the heavens, the old heavens, he will burn up the old earth, and he'll burn up the old Jerusalem, and he will now bring down a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. The, the, the heavens won't look like they used to. They'll be much different, but they'll all be new. And then the church will be there, and guess where the church will be residing? In the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is like a cube. It is as large as Texas, but it has depth. A, a cube has depth, width, and height. And we will be in that, and that's where the church will be, and we will be there with God the Father. So, in the eternal kingdom. The book of Matthew, we find that the king is here to rule the kingdom. That's millennial kingdom. With the church residing in the new Jerusalem. And those who made it through the millennium residing in the new earth. Everything is new. The book has the past, present, and future. Jesus was born the king. The wise men came seeking a king. John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And moreover, Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. The book does not begin with Jesus' birth, but it reaches back further into the past to Jesus' root. It has a genealogy, and it goes all the way back to Abraham. The skillful blending of Jesus' action and teaching in this book helped make the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, an esteemed place in literature. Many people who read literature says Matthew is a great book. Jesus often contrasts his teaching with the Old Testament interpretations of the law by saying, you have heard that it was said. That's what he'll start out with. He begins, and then he concludes, but I tell you this. Then he reveals the true intent of what the scripture was saying. That's what he would do. He knows the true intent. Often they had the wrong intent for the scripture. The Gospel of Matthew constantly quotes from the book, the Old Testament, about 65 different times. Written in Hebrew to the Jew converts to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to which the Old Testament looked forward to his coming at the end of the ages. We come to the statement that I made earlier when I first started. That statement is, all the Bible is for us, but not all the Bible is to us. You understand? All the Bible is for us, but not all the Bible. 
You understand that once you read that book of Matthew, because you see it was written to the Jews and it's not written to the Gentiles, that's people in the church. They mix that up, the Lord's Prayer and all that stuff. That's for the Jews, not us. The book of Matthew and the book of Hebrews, those two books in the New Testament, are both written in the Jewish language, Hebrew. And they are special books in the Bible. And to a select group of people who were a race of people created by God to be his chosen people. No other race was chosen as to be the chosen people of God. But he developed a race. See, we don't know how the, the, how the, uh, the African-American race started, where it started its roots. We don't know where the Chinese started, but we know it all happened after we came off of the boat, after we came off of the ark, and once we got at it and we got scattered at the Tower of Babel. We know that it all the races started then because he gave each group of people their own language. But the book, but the Bible shows us. That Jesus started, and he tells us, this is the one race he tells us about. He gives us a history. He started with a man, and that was Abraham. And from Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the nation develops after they come out of Egypt, after 400 years of, in Egypt and 250 of those years in slavery. So Jesus, God starts his own race, and he calls them his chosen people. Nobody is his chosen people except the Jews. The church is not God's chosen people. We are the branch. Jeremiah said, you take the tree. The tree is the Jews. But he said God took and he put a branch into that tree and he fixed it so that branch would grow in that tree. And that is the Gentiles, us. We are the branch that God put in the tree so that we would be part of his roots, of his teaching, and of his creation. So we are that branch that was put in the tree. When the king was rejected, the kingdom was put off until the king returns in glory. That's after the great tribulation, in glory with his host of angels to rule the world. Scripture says that he will reconcile himself to his people, the Jews. You understand that? He's going to reconcile himself with it. When he left, the Jews crucified him. But some of the Jews did believe on him, and we call those the Messianic Jews. The first Christian church was all Jewish. And from that point, the Gentiles were brought into it. So we understand that Jesus needs to get things straight with his people. Jesus is a Jew. You understand that, you idiots out there? He is a Jew. He was rejected by his people, but when he comes back for the second time, he will reconcile that. God will reconcile that. In fact, he won't have to reconcile it because the people will be in so much distress, so much distress that the Antichrist is going to annihilate them and going to annihilate the whole race of Jews, just as Hitler tried to do. During the Armageddon, the armies will be posed outside of Israel to destroy the Jews, and the Jews will be fighting back, but they won't have a chance, and they know it. 
But Jesus is going to break through the skies and he's going to come back. And with one word, he's going to destroy all of the armies posed outside to destroy the Jews, Israel. So he reconciles it. The people cry out. And Zechariah writes in the 12th chapter, he says, mourning for the one they pierced. They know what they did wrong, the Jews living in the future. They know what they've done one. And this is what Zechariah writes. Listen to him. 600 years before Jesus walked on earth, he gave this prophetic prediction. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look to me, he's talking to Jesus, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for an only child and grieves for a firstborn that dies. On that day, that's at the end of the tribulation, on that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping on Hadas Ramoth's plains. He uses that example. That is when the great king, Josiah, was killed. The people went out there and they just weeped and hollered and screamed for almost a week. So he said it's going to be like that when he comes back. They're going to be hollering and screaming and, and, and crying and begging and asking him to forgive their ancestors and forgive them for rejecting him because they will need him when he comes back to destroy the Antichrist. Well, let's look for now at the fact that when I come back in some podcast, I'm going to go through the book of Zechariah. I have 